right, well, let's go ahead and get started tonight. Um, we're going to um, get uh, back into our uh, study on making changes in our life, uh, scriptural, biblical change that, uh, you know, when we're, we're identifying issues and identifying sin, identifying uh, behaviors, the proper uh, biblical way to go about changing that. God has a process for all of that. We've been looking into that. Uh, and obviously last week we were talking about, you know, making sure that we're doing it uh, the right way instead of the worldly way. The worldly concept of uh, making change is, is more about uh, trying to change a behavior or stop a behavior, uh, and it doesn't address the heart. It addresses a surface uh, um, issue, and it doesn't get into uh, the, the actual spiritual component of it. And uh, we talked a bit about uh, this, this spirit, and obviously in order to make a spiritual change, uh, you have to have the Holy Spirit of God working in you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit of God working in you, then it's just going to be a superficial, pharisaical change that is going to come and it's going to go. And people are, that's generally why people struggle. Uh, when they struggle with uh, trying to figure out why they continue in sin, uh, why they keep going back to the same sins, uh, it's because they've never done a, uh, you know, gotten into the spiritual change aspect of, of, uh, of what uh, God wants us to do as far as our Christian walk, our Christian behavior. So, uh, we talked about that. And then obviously if the spirit is involved because of what the spirit uses, the word of God to, uh, make those changes, uh, the word of God has to be present. And we talked a bit about that. And I want to focus a little bit more on that, uh, because again, when we talk about uh, change, when we talk about anything regarding uh, counsel uh, from the Word of God, some people call it therapy or whatever or something of that nature, regardless of, of, of that, uh, that name, it, it all comes down to this, it has to be biblically based. Uh, if, uh, if it is not biblically based, as we saw, there are some issues. And uh, we're going to be turning over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to take a look at uh, some verses that we looked at last week, uh, get a little bit more detail before we go into that uh, step process, talking about uh, the teaching, uh, obviously, of truth, conviction, correction, and discipleship. Uh, we have to establish something about the Word of God and why we need that, why it's important. Uh, there's a, there's a couple of aspects that we need to look at to ensure that we understand this. Because again, uh, people will often move to, uh, um, non-biblical responses, uh, to, to conviction and to correction. And when we understand that, uh, that does not please God, when we understand that it's not going to provide the same result, we see that the Word of God does, we have to understand why the Word of God does do this, why it's it's superior, why it is the only way, why we believe that. And and again, we, we have to remind ourselves of this. This is not something that is, uh, you know, if you will, just uh, we, we want to, is going to be that automatic response. It's something that we have to do cognitively. We have to do it in a spiritual cognitive manner where we're reminding ourselves why the Word of God is important. If we don't remind ourselves of why the Word of God is important, the end result is, is you're going to wind up with, a, 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 again, a superficial worldview change that is only going to address a physical component and never address the spiritual heart of the matter. So let's go ahead and pray. We'll get started into our lesson tonight, get a little bit more uh, detail about this, and then we will um, hopefully... Can I move on into the next portions of uh, of this change? But let's go ahead and pray first. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for a time that we have tonight, a time that we have to uh, just lift up your word. And Lord, we know that uh, obviously you do that. You've uh, put your word above your name. And uh, there is the principle there of how important that is. And Lord, I thank you for the word of God that you've given to us. I thank you for the scriptures that we have. Uh, Lord, to, to just to begin to understand of how this was put together and the men and the women that, uh, that sacrificed, uh, to, to have the Bibles that we have here in our laps so, um, that we can read freely here in this country, um, is, is just astounding, amazing, and, uh, worthy of praise. 
uh, of you of how you've done that for us. And Lord, I just pray that tonight as we look to your word, that your Holy Spirit will continue to teach us, guide us. We will understand this importance, realize what we need in our lives, Lord, to make these changes, to please you and to honor you with everything that we say and do, that we would be Christians and vessels fit for your use, not fit for our own purpose, but fit for your will and your desires. Thank you again, Lord, for those that are here tonight. Pray, Lord, we would just be blessed with edification and encouragement and fellowship. And this I ask in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the scriptural principle that we look at about why the Bible is necessary for any type of counseling or any type of change is because of, if you will, the supremacy of it. The supremacy of the word of God is something that uh, the world does not understand. Uh, the world tries to change what the Bible says. I mean, we know that because there are many different versions out there that change things to completely ridiculous sayings or, if you will, kind of degrade it to the point of just some some trite little comment. But the Word of God is 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 a supernatural book. Uh, it is preserved and inspired in such a way that we realize that it could only come from God. It can't come from anywhere else. Uh, we also begin to understand that because it is the Word of God and because He is supreme, because He is over all and above all, and by Him all things consist because everything was created by Him, we begin to understand that but because of His Word, He specifically spoke it into existence, we begin to understand how important the Word of God is in our Christian life. Uh, there are so many counselors out there that call themselves Christian counselors that use secular lines of thinking to try to change and do what is, you know, often referred to as cognitive behavioral therapy or something of that nature where they're, they're trying to make a change, but they try to do it in such a way that they do it without God's word. God's word is what really makes that change. And you think about it, it's, isn't it God's word that spoke to you when you trusted Christ as your, uh, as your Lord and Savior? When you, when you heard the words, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God commendeth his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, all of those uh, those that I just said are scripture, and they have a profound impact in our life. That talk to us and teach us and tell us that there is none that doeth good. That teach us for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. That teach us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those are all important principles that are found in scripture and are necessary to make that spiritual change that we talked about over there with Nicodemus when he was uh, being told by Jesus Christ, ye must be born again. There has to be a spiritual change. A physical change is not capable of getting us to heaven. A physical change is not capable of earning if, uh, uh, eternal life. It must be spiritual. It must be of God. If it's not of God, then it has no effect in our life. Or any effect that it does have is just simply a, a, just a little, you know, spitter, spatting, and that's it. And it doesn't do much. And that's kind of what the, the physical stuff talks about. So when we look at the scriptural principle, we have to understand that as he says here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, um, in verse 15, he says, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, and all good works. So we see, I mean, the, these three verses right here, and even if you combine verse 14 into this as well, these, these verses are critical for a Christian in their life. 
Now, this is interesting because this happens to show up in the book of 2 Timothy. And what we often refer to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus as, is we call them pastoral epistles. That these are, 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 are uh, letters that are written to people that are going to be pastors, and there's a lot of things in there that are fit for the use of pastoring. But I dare say that this is ministerial books. And we're all called to a ministry of reconciliation. We're all called to preach the gospel. We're all called to do these things. We're all called to remind each other and encourage each other. We're all called to comfort each other. We're all called to do these things that we find in here. And and, and again, even the qualifications of these pastors, these are things that should naturally be happening with everyone. It shouldn't be somebody striving to do those things because they want to be a pastor. It should be they should be doing those things because it's the will of God and God uses individuals that do those things. So we, when we look at it, this is something that is not, it's not just for pastors. It's not just for preachers of the gospel. It's not just for Sunday school teachers or junior church workers or anything of that nature. What this is, is this is a biblical principle for all kinds of change. Because as we understand from First and Second Timothy, we see Timothy wrestling with fear. He's wrestling with, with a huge amount of fear because of his association with Paul, who is now being thrown in prison. And that has an impact. Who you associate with is going to color the way that people view you. So when we look at this here, we find that he's wrestling with that. And here he gives them a, a, a key thing, saying, you need to go back to the scriptures, Timothy. You need to understand what the, what the word of God is about. This isn't about Paul. It's not about Timothy. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have to get back to that and understand, if you will, that profitability of the Bible. Now, when we talk about profitability, we're not talking about, you know, a return on investment. We're not talking about a business where you invest money into it, you put money into it and capital for the purpose of hopefully getting more capital back into your pocket to run a profit, to be successful. We're talking about profit as in the form of usefulness, as in how we use the Word of God. We're talking about it in the form of of what, what does it do for us to give us increase in our Christian life. And when I talk about increase, I'm talking about fruit that is, is, if you will, meat for the master's use. Something that he can use in this life. Something that he can use because we are seeking to please him. So this is where we, we begin to start. And the very first thing that we understand is that we understand that the Bible provides all that a Christian needs to carry out the will of God. It provides everything that we need. Not only does it carry, it does it provide everything that we need for the work of the ministry, being ambassadors of Jesus Christ, as he tells the church at Corinth, but what we find is, is everything that we need to carry out the will of God is found in scriptures. You're not going to find it in any of those other, you know, non-scriptural, non-canonical books. You know, people are always out there and they're talking about the, the, you know, those other uh, ancillary books. They talk about the book of Enoch. Well, okay, well, which version are you talking about? Talk about the gospel of Thomas or the gospel of Judas. Oh, good grief. Who, who in the world would read that one? But anyways, I mean, he, I wouldn't read anything that he wrote. He went out and hung himself. And it says he went to his own place, which is scary in its own right. But you begin to think about it, what are all those books? And, and, and the Bible mentions other books. It mentions the book of Asher. It mentions the book, I mean, there's other books that it references in there, but we don't find them in the Bible. But what we do find in the Bible is worthy of study more than those other books. What we find in Scripture is what gives us the clear understanding of how to carry out the will of God, how to do it from the heart, and how not to do it with a hypocritical uh, a, a, a mentality and mindset and, if you will, heart attitude. So what we find is we find that the Bible is going to provide that. That's the very first thing that we as Christians have to understand. So here we are. 
We realize that there's a change that needs to happen in our Christian life. We realize something needs to, to, to occur. Again, we've been rebuked. We realize there's the conviction that is there, uh, that we have to do something. We're now at the point of where we need to make this change, and we're trying to figure out how to get the change. The very first thing that we have to understand is that the Bible is going to provide everything that we need to carry this out. I don't have to get, you know, Joel Olstein's book, okay? I don't have to get anybody else's book. I don't have to get, you know, Purpose Driven Life. I don't have to get any of those other books to, to, to truly understand what God wants for my life. You know what I need? I need the Bible. End of story. I need that in my Christian life. If I don't have that and I have everything else, then I'm failing in what I need to do from a biblical perspective to get change. Those books, yeah, they might be a great read. You might get a little inspired by it, but which is more important? And look, I'm not knocking the, the, any authors or anything like that. So just, which is more important? Charles Spurgeon's writings or what God said? Well, I'll tell you this. You know what Charles Spurgeon would say if he was alive? He would say, why are you listening to me? You need to listen to God. What's the purpose behind, you know, uh, you know, collecting all, you know, it's about God. Everything that Charles Spurgeon talked about was God. Everything that Charles Spurgeon uh, devoted his life to was Jesus Christ. He truly understood those things. Now, look, I'm not saying if you read those books that there's, you know, that you're in sin or anything. Please don't ever think that I'm saying that. I read those books, too, and I read commentaries, and there's things that I like, and there's other books that I read, and so on and so forth. But when it comes to the finality, the supremacy, and the authority, it ends in the Bible. I don't care what some man said. If it goes against Scripture, it's not what I need. It has to be biblically based. It has to be, uh, we have to have that understanding. And in order to, you know, get that understanding, we have to understand four important principles about the Word of God. If we're going to understand that the Bible provides everything that we need in this Christian life, then we have to understand these four important principles. Number one, that the Bible is holy. Number one is the Bible is holy. Number two is that the Bible is powerful. That the Bible is powerful. Number three is that the Bible is inspired and preserved. It is inspired and preserved. And number four is that the Bible is profitable. So these are things that we have to take a look at. And we find he introduces these principles right here to Timothy as he's teaching him. He's teaching him, he's going through, and he starts off, and if we look there in verse uh, 15, he says, and that from a child that has known the holy scriptures. The holy scriptures. Now, look, first thing that we have to understand about the word of God is that God just doesn't throw words in there just because. You know, there, there's all sorts of things that happen when people speak, and what do they do? They, they need, they, they feel the necessary need to fill the silence void with words. Silence is fine. I'll tell you this, I was laying in the hospital, and, and, and I actually got some good sleep in the hospital, which is odd, I understand that. You know, here you are lying there gutted like a fish, and you just, it was it was peaceful. I was in one of those rooms that had the double doors, so I had two two sets of glass doors. It was like a little vestibule into my room, and I would have them close both those doors, and I couldn't hear anything outside. I lay back, and it was just quiet, and I just enjoyed that silence. I just enjoyed the opportunity to just not hear everything. And it was so peaceful. And I, I mean, I was, I was having like, if you will, fits of narcolepsy. They'd close those things and I'd be like, oh, and I'm out. Somebody would come in, I'd wake up and they're like, oh, you sleep light sometimes. Not all the time. Not all the time. But it was just a matter of, uh, I just, you know, I just enjoyed the silence. 
But there's some people that think that because there's silence, it's their opportunity to fill it. It's their obligation in life to fill it. And it's just like, at some point in time, you just, <clears throat> in the Holy Spirit, you just want to say, shut up, please. You know, just come on. And in grace, we hold our tongue. We rebuke ourselves. I shouldn't say that. And when we argue with ourselves, as they're just like continuing to ramble on, and then they ask if we've been paying attention, it's like, no, I was arguing with myself about telling you to shut up or not. <laughs> Being transparent, you know. No, but you you understand what I'm saying. But here we are with with, with the word of God, and here he is putting a specific word. And I say all that to say this. God uses specific words to communicate specific meanings and specific principles to us who need to have things specified. Why? Because we're humans. And we're sheep. And we don't get it. I mean, we don't get things the first time. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we, you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, 12th, 40th time, we finally get it, right? You know, you, you start realizing, oh, good grief. I got, I got, I, I, I got to get this. But God has a very specific word here, and he uses the word holy. And I tell you this, there are not a lot of Christians that believe the word of God is holy. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 I forget what the statistic is. I meant to look it up before I before I came up here, and I totally forgot to do that. But there is a huge gap about how people believe whether the Word of God is holy, perfect, and pure, inerrant, meaning it's without error. And people believe, oh, there's some errors in there. If there's some errors in there, what if the error is in salvation? What if I... What if I do have to sacrifice a turtle dove? Now what? No, I I believe it's inerrant. Well, it's inerrant in the originals. Nobody has the originals. Originals are gone. Well, okay, then the manuscripts. Well, again, you know, we can go back and we can study all of that, but, but, but I would rather just sit there and say, by faith, I believe what God has put down in this book for me right here is truth. So when he says the word holy, I have to take it as that. Well, what's the definition of the word holy? It means to be whole. Which is kind of interesting considering it seems like it's related in the word there. But it's whole, it's entire, it's perfect, it's pure, it's complete, it's sanctified, it's purified, it's hollowed, it's consecrated, and it's set apart for a sacred use. That's what holiness is. And again, that perfectly describes God. What does God need? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. There's some pastors that run around saying that God needs you. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Well, how do we know that? Go ask a guy by the name of Balaam. I mean, he used an animal. He can do the same thing. Jesus Christ at one point in time said that the rocks would cry out. You think he needs you? But he does use you. He does use you. Praise God for it. But here we are, you know, in understanding that that, that that's what it's about. <clears throat> then what we need to understand is, when we're talking about the Holy Scriptures, that it's perfect and it's pure. And it's complete. In its entirety. I don't need ancillary books. I don't need a bunch of things that are outside of Scripture. What I need is I need the Word of God to make that change. So I start with the holiness part. Take a look at a couple of passages. Again, just to, to, to communicate this point, turn over to the book of Psalms. Keep your place there in um, in the book of uh, 2 Timothy. You know, Put your ribbon there. 
Go over the book of Psalms. We're going to take a look at a, a couple of passages. Uh, let's start off with Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12 is a classic passage, and it talks about the Word of God. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 12, and it says in verse 6, it says, The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Verse 7, we'll get to this when we start talking about the preservation part. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Preservation. Inspiration and preservation. You have to have both of those pillars for the Word of God. Because if you can have something that's inspired, but if it's never preserved, then what good does it do you? If it's corrupt, then what good does it do you? But here the Word of God says that it is perfect, that it's pure. That it's pure. We have to believe that in order for us to understand the concept of if we want real change in our life and we want real righteousness, then we have to go to the source of righteousness and the source of holiness, and that is God himself, which he has put in his word and given to mankind in a very specific way so that we would be able to be receiving it, being taught by the Holy Spirit from it. We have to get to that point. We have to understand that. Take a look at Proverbs chapter, or excuse me, uh, Psalms chapter 18. Psalm chapter 18. And it's not just one verse. It's Psalm chapter 18 and verse 30. It says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. I'll tell you this. This is one of the best passages if you're having issues trusting God then that means you're having issues trusting and believing his word. If you have issues trusting God, that God's going to handle a situation, then I dare say there might be an issue with the way that you are viewing the word of God. Maybe you need to reevaluate it. Maybe you need to step back and go, okay, do I really believe that the word of God is holy, perfect, and pure? If I do, do I believe his ways are, as he says here, perfect? Then that means I'm going to have to trust him. I'm going to have to trust him. I'm going to have to basically throw everything that I think out the window and go solely with what God tells me. Now, that goes against what the world's mentality is. What the world's mentality is when it comes to counseling You and yourself can make your own change, and you and yourself are self-sufficient to, if you will, um, bolster your own self-image. It's self. It's humanism. It's you will be gods. It's you will lift yourself up. It's you're better than everyone else. It's Darwinian evolution at its finest. It's survival of the fittest. I don't feel good about myself. Therefore, I think I need to feel better about myself. So I come and I decide I'm going to feel better about myself so that I can feel better than you. So that means I'm superior than you. Then I'm better than you. And guess what? You don't care. uh, You don't matter to me. See how quickly that goes down the hill? By the way, that's the principle of evolution. The principle of evolution and the finality of evolution and Darwinian evolution is I'm a more evolved species than you, therefore I have every right to take your life. Especially if you do not have the same color of skin as me. That's right in the title of the book, by the way. Crazy, huh? Why don't we teach that to the kids in school? Oh, yeah, that would be racist. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Why? Because it's against God's word. God doesn't tell us to do that. You focus on God, I tell you this, skin color won't make a difference. You focus on God, ethnicity won't make a difference. Why? Because every man, woman, and child needs salvation. It doesn't matter who you are. Your social status, your ethnicity, your gender, male or female, got to clarify, you know, it does not matter. What matters is, have you believed 
Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There it is. Simple. Simple. Take a look at Psalm chapter uh, 19. Psalm chapter 19. In verse 8, it says, The statutes of the Lord are right. Now, if you know anything from what we've learned in the book of Psalms, chapter 119, is that the statutes are always referencing and referring back to those foundational principles, the firm principles of God's word. And it says very clearly, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You want joy in your life? Find out what the statutes of the word of God are. The commandment of the Lord is pure and enlightening the eyes. People are always out there talking about with this new age that they want to receive enlightenment. I've had new age people talk about it and they're like, well, have you been enlightened? Yes, I have. Oh, tell me about it. Oh, I will gladly tell you. I found myself a sinner in need of a savior. I found a Savior in the Word of God, and His name is Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sins to save my soul from a devil's hell so that I would be able to spend eternity with Him in eternal life. I'm enlightened. That will give you wisdom. And that's exactly what He told Timothy over there. The Word of God is used for wisdom. People are like, oh, no, that's not what I meant. Yeah, I know what you meant, but this is what God means. The Word of God is pure. It will open your eyes. It will open your eyes. You get in it, you begin to use it, I guess, I guarantee you what's going to happen. What's going to happen is you're going to start taking a look at your life, and you're going to start saying, I need to make some wholesale changes. I, 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 I. I, I, this isn't a matter of taking things to goodwill. This is a matter of I need to start taking things into a dump and start burning it in a fire. I need, I need to make some major overhauls in my life, and that's only going to come with the purity of the Word of God. Turn over another passage in Psalm 119 we were just referencing, verse 140. There's a ton of verses in, in Psalm 119. I'm just going to pick this one. And in Psalm 119, verse 140, it says, Thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. Today, you know, kind of taking a look at what, what we're going to have for dinner and stuff like that. And, and I, I grabbed the, the cream and I was thinking about making some sort of cream sauce with some pasta or something of that nature. And I kind of, you know, I always do a, a quick check before I start using stuff. Been burned far too many times with that. <clears throat> you pour something out and bleh, there's this big lump of, you know, mold or something. You're like, oh, gross. Got to get that taken care of. And I open, so I open up and I look inside and, you know, I, you know, some people, they just, they, they'll do the, smells good. I sniffed it and I looked and inside, guess what was growing up with the side of it? Big old thing of black mold. I'm not drinking that. I'm not putting that in my, body but it was pure right for some people it's good enough you know like i just need a little penicillin every now and then right things things of that nature it's like i'll just cut that part off of the bread or off the cheese or whatever it is and things like that and you're like i just go ahead and eat it it's fine right yeah take microbiology and you'll think otherwise you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, that's the last thing I need to be is sick right now with my stomach. Yeah, that's the last thing I need. I don't need a trip back to the hospital. <clears throat> so, you know, but some people would say, well, it's pure enough. You know, the Word of God is very pure. It's not just pure. It's very pure. Meaning when we think that it's pure, God has made it more pure. And when we think about that in, in, in his statement, it makes perfect sense why we would love that. Something that is pure is something that you just automatically have an affection for. 
You ever have just real good grass-fed beef? Like like Mike's cows, Mike and Laura's cows? I mean, those, those are good cows. It tastes good. It doesn't taste like Albertson's cows. Doesn't taste, I'm, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. It tastes good. It's not adulterated with growth hormones and whatever else and things of that. You're not injecting those things out there. Okay, yeah, I think so. You know, it tastes good, right? Why? It's pure. It's good. The same thing is, is when we start realizing the purity of the Word of God and how pure it really truly is, it should have an effect on you and it should have a desire that is inspired in your heart to say, I want more of it. I love that. I love that. Why? Because it's good for us. It makes a, a distinct change. Turn finally over to the, uh, the book of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 30, and in verse 5, he says, Every word of God is pure. Let's just think about that phrase right there for a moment. Every word of God is pure. So does that mean that some error exists? What does every mean? I mean, it's like it's kind of like a self-defining word, right? means everything. All. All inclusive. And here he is saying, every word of God is pure. Every word. So when God uses the word holy to describe scriptures, he's doing it to, to, to clearly identify the purity of it and why we need it and why Timothy needed it. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to them that put their trust in him. There it is again. The correlation between trust and the word of God. A person that does not read their Bible is going to have a hard time trusting God. Why do you think that Paul was reminding Timothy to go back to the word of God because of the fear? The lack of trust will produce an abundance of fear. And that abundance of fear will dominate your life. More word of God, more trust. It's the way it works. Now take a look at what he says in verse 6. He says, add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. I like that one too. That one's great. Don't add to it. So many people add to it. There's a, there's a lot to be said about being adding and taking away from the word of God. But, but here he's just flat out saying, don't add to it. Don't add to it. A bunch of people add to it. A bunch of people add to it and, and so on and so forth. Oh man, I heard something one time uh, from this guy that quote unquote called himself a pastor. And I know I'm using that air quotes there, but I wouldn't call him that. So this guy, let's just call him that, this man, is sitting there saying how, how he doesn't think that the Word of God is necessarily fit for today's day and age. Because he says the Word of God condones slavery. Wait, what? The word of God demeans women. Wait, what? Well, I'll tell you this. If you read it under your own private interpretation, sure. Sure. You can go ahead and pull something out of there like that. But I think scripture is pretty clear on that. He was sitting there and saying that, that, that people today don't need the word of God. 
I'm like, well, then what do you get up and preach from? What's your message based off of? The Sunday comics? The New York Times? The latest CNN editorial? What, I mean, what's it based off of? And then we wonder why some Christians come away from churches like that and they go, I just, I, I, I just, I, I can't bear Christianity anymore because it doesn't do anything. Why? Because there is no Word of God. There's no holiness. There's no holiness. You know what the holiness of the Word of God teaches us? Sin is exceeding sinful and we need to view it that way. We need to view sin as disgusting and as poisonous as the most disgusting and poisonous thing you could ever think of. That's how we have to view sin. If we view sin any other way, then we're going to have a problem with any type of change because it's not holy. It's not holy. You know, and again, you know, I'm not talking about the paper and the ink, okay? I'm not talking about the paper and the ink on the page uh, uh, being holy in itself, but what I'm talking about is the fact that the words that are there are associated with a holy, sinless, righteous God that gave us a message about who is holy. Him. Over in 1 Peter chapter 1, what does it say? It says, be ye holy as I am holy. He's holy. His expectation is that we be holy as believers. Well, in order to accomplish that, then I need the holiness of the scriptures to teach us. It's this message, it's this that's contained here that gives us this. That message itself is holy. The word of God itself is holy. I mean, this is a unique book. Look, this is a unique book that will, will, will give you a unique change in your life. No other book can do that. No other book can do that. What book has the same profound effect throughout centuries and, if you will, millennia than this book? Name me one book that is that long-standing. Name me one book that has had that effect. Name me one book that has produced changes in countries. Name me one book that turned the world upside down. It'll produce a unique change because of a unique relationship with God. It's not a collective relationship. You notice there's a lot of this collective mentality going on. The collective good. The good for society. The good for everyone. You know what? I understand that and I get that concept, especially when we're talking about the, uh, the, 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 the body of Christ, the church, being together. But I will tell you this. Each member is unique. Each member is unique. You know, it only took one little diverticulum inside my, you know, my body to produce a giant mess that I'm dealing with. One. One. Talking to John Aldrich about it right before service. How dangerous it was. You realize that if that thing had ruptured inside my body, I would have had an infection throughout my entire system? Praise the Lord for preserving it, keeping me safe. Man, alive. That's, I can't even begin to, to say how thankful I am for that. But I, I take a look at this here, and, and, and I see that that, that that one little thing had a unique relationship with my body. But everybody talks about this collectiveness and the collective good. I don't need a collective relationship with God. I don't live in my relationship with God through someone else. 
It's individual. Yeah. It's personal. Yeah. It's unique. I have to sit back and say, if I want a unique change because of a unique relationship with my God, I need a unique book to do it. And praise the Lord, he's given us that. Second thing I want to look at is, is talking about uh, the power. The Bible is powerful. There's an ability behind it. You realize that, uh, you know, if you get a car that has no power, it doesn't have an ability to do much, does it? doesn't have ability to do much. It can't pull. It can't tow. <clears throat> Perfect example. Our, our first honeymoon, Amy and I, we, or not honeymoon, first anniversary, we go, we go over to Ocean Shores and they've got, uh, they've got these go-karts on these little sand dunes out there. And it's like, oh, cool. That'll be fun. And, uh, and Amy says, oh, I don't want to drive one. I'll just, let's just, you get the two seater and we'll drive around. You drive. I'm a big guy. All right. Put me in that thing. And, and, you know, I, I'm stuffed in there like some sort of marshmallow and just like, I'm in that thing and I, and, and we're trying to get going and we come to the first hill that we got to get over. And it's a heavier cart because it's a two seater and both of us are in it. We get to that first hill and, and I'm talking about a hill. It's like this. Okay. It's not that big. Get to the first hill. Can't get over it. It's gutless. It's got no power because he's got, you know, it's uh, the throttle's restricted. So kind of, you know, the guy comes out and he sees that I'm backing up traffic and he pushes me over the hill and he's like, all right, and you just, just make sure you floor it when you come to those things. I'm flooring it. I'm flying, you know, thinking I'm flying around the track and I go on around and I get to this, get to the hill again. And it's like, can't barely get over it. Long story short, he comes over to me and he says, okay, we need to make a change here. And he grabs and he cranks open that throttle and he just has it all, just all the way open. So now this little cart that sits there and goes, but, 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 it's not like, <laughs> and, and, and uh, here we are in a two seater and we're lapping the singles. We come to that hill and it's like, you know, power, right? Power. And I will tell you, there's a difference between what man gives us, which is restricted, gutless, and not worth much, versus the quick powerfulness of the word of God, as it says in Hebrews 4. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. You go back over there to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and what does he say there? He says specifically, he says, And thou hast, from a child hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. There's an ability behind the Word of God that is not present in anything else. So when we want change in our life, we need something that has the ability to make that change. You ever have an issue with uh, somebody in customer service and you decide to ask for the supervisor or the manager? I know that's frowned on nowadays and so on and so forth, but sometimes you just got to do it. You need to go to the person that has the ability to say yes. That has been empowered with that. That has the authority to do that. Somebody that can actually do something and say, oh yeah, I can override that. I can give you that price. I can do those things. Uh, Yes. You need somebody that can say yes. The same thing is true when it comes to the word of God. We need something that has the ability to make a difference in our life. that can make that difference. There's so much in this world that we think that, that possibilities may be that it might make a difference, but it's the Word of God that actually makes that difference. Again, turn over the book of Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews uh, and uh, take a look at chapter 3. <clears throat> Oops. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 3. 
And take a look at what he says here in verse 7. He says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts in the day of provocation, in the day of wilderness, or excuse me, in the the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. He says very clearly, the first thing you got to do is hear it. You got to be able to hear what the power is. You have to be able to hear in order to understand that ability that's going to be given here of God. Because if you go over to the next chapter in chapter 4, and taking a look at verse, uh, uh, again, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intent of the heart, intents of the heart. But again, I want you to back up to verse 7 and see something again that sounds very familiar with what he just said in verse 7. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying to, uh, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. That's interesting. Two times he talks about hearing and not hardening. One of the main reasons that people do not see the ability and the power of God is because of a hard heart towards his word. It's a hard heart. It won't receive it. It won't receive it. You have to be able to be uh, 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 um, receptive to it. Not hard, stony ground but to be actually able to receive it, to see the power behind it. People will come and they'll say, well, I just, you know, I've I've tried everything from the Word of God and I just don't see a change. I'm like, everything? Really? I don't even think I've gotten that far. Everything. Okay, well, well, what is it you've tried? And most of the time, everything that they've tried is, is of a worldly mentality. It's not scripturally based. Uh, and, and it's interesting to see here that the word of God uses the word today in these two passages. Today. You know the word of God will make an impact in your life and it has the ability and the power to make that change in your life today. Amen. Today. Not tomorrow. Today. People are like, well, I want to see immediate results. Okay. Humble yourself before a mighty God. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and do what the Bible tells you to do. And I guarantee you, you'll see a change today. Amen. You'll see a change today. Like, well, I don't know about that. There's the hardness of the heart. Why is it we do that? Well, we're humans. That's just an excuse. It's time to stop excusing sin and start throwing it out the window and say, no, I am going to do it. Because I believe in the holiness of God and I believe he has the ability and the power to make that change in my life. Now, again, this isn't so you can go out there and quote-unquote live your best life. Oh, don't even get me started. Don't even get me started on that, okay? <clears throat> this isn't so you can go out there and, and, and get all your finances in order and things like that. You know what? If, if you're in debt up to your eyeballs, you know what you need to do? Pay your debt. Yeah. Don't sit there and think, you know, well, if I give all my money to the church, God's going to get rid of my debt for me. Don't 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 rely on the government to forgive your debt for you, okay? <clears throat> There's a lot of people right now that are sitting there wishing that they hadn't paid their student loans. But, you know, it's ridiculous. We don't need another bailout. You know what we need? We need a savior Jesus Christ. We need his holiness of his word. 
We need the power behind it that tells us very clearly that it is quick and powerful and it will get right down into it and it will tell us why we're thinking the way we're thinking and how to change the way we're thinking. Because that's the problem. It's the heart. It's the heart. Turn to chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 15. It says, Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, after they have said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them. Uh, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now, I want us to ask a question. Isn't that a little bit hard for us as human beings to do? Remember sins and iniquities no more? Are there things that you wish you could forget? That you did? That were contrary? Praise the Lord. He makes a covenant. and says, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to choose not to remember it. It gets brought up, I'm not even going to talk about it. We're the ones that sit there and play around with the thing. Make our own lives miserable. But I'll tell you this, there's a power behind that covenant with the Holy Ghost making this covenant and saying, uh, and being a witness that this is what, what He's going to do for the nation of Israel. Man, that's a lot of, that's a lot of sin. Go back and read it. It's a lot of sin. But here he is very clearly talking about, uh, you know, this important principle saying there's a power behind the Word of God to make that covenant. To say, I will not remember sin. There's an ability to do that. Man doesn't always have that ability. We bring it up or somebody else brings it up. It's time we stop bringing up sin. Start bringing up the holiness and forgiveness of God. Comes up in your life and you get that nagging thought and it sits there and says, oh, hey, you remember what you did? Yeah, praise God, it's under the blood. Praise God, he's forgiven it. Praise God, I don't have to pay, if you will, a punishment and penance in hell for it because he paid it for me. What else you got? Because it's all under the blood. It's all washed white as snow. Turn over to Romans chapter 15. I'm going to finish up with a couple of passages here. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. He says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now there's power. I want you to think about that verse just for a moment and realize that the things that have been written aforetime, that stuff about Adam, Noah, Abraham, David, all of those prophets, the apostles, Paul, all that stuff that was written several hundred years ago, you realize there's still power in those words to make a change in your life, to give you hope, in a hopeless world? In a hopeless world? Sometimes people will come to counseling and they're like, well, there's, you know, they're hopeless. They don't think there's hope. That verse just told me that this book gives me hope. So what am I going to use? How to... Win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie? Or am I going to use this book 
that's going to give them hope when they walk away and they say, you know what? I can see that Jesus Christ will make that change in me so that I may do His will and please Him. They can see that hope. They can see that hope. That becomes an important principle. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians in chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples. And they're written for admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Admonishment. Encouragement. Moving us, and if you will, pushing us to do that which is right. These are things that the Word of God does for us. I want you to think about that. You ever go through and you read some things in the Old Testament? Just in case you didn't know, which I know all of you do, guys like Noah lived a few years ago. Several thousand years ago. But you see something like that, the faith of Noah, to build an ark when it had never rained, so that the eight souls would be saved. Wow. Doesn't that have an impression on you now? Have you ever read something in the Word of God that's been written several thousand years before, and it convicts you? You read something, and it encourages you? You read something, and it inspires you? You read something, and the Holy Spirit uses it to teach you. All of those things were there and written for that purpose. Turn over to John. Book of John, chapter 20. John, chapter 20. I know I'm a little bit over time, but bear with me. I have a rare occasion where I've got some energy right now. I'm going to take full use of it. Amen? John chapter 20, and here he says in, uh, in, in verse 30. You ever read these two verses, verse 30 and 31 of John chapter 20? And meditate on it? Yeah. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that through believing ye might have life through his name. There's a purpose behind why it was written. Purpose for a change. Power behind those words for a change. They're written for that reason. They're written for that reason. When we begin to realize what God has done for us already, the power of salvation that we see in the Word of God, and now we have a relationship with Him. We have eternal life because of Him. We have forgiveness of sins because of His work. Wow. There's power behind that. So we have to understand that if we want a real change, the ability isn't going to lie in ourselves. The ability is going to be found right here in these books, in this book, in these pages. And it's going to teach us, and it's going to guide us, and it's going to direct us, and it's going to give us the hope that we need, and the encouragement we need, and the edification that we need, and the correction that we need, all so that we can please our Savior and do His will. Those are the first two things that we're looking at. We're looking at the Bible is holy, the Bible is powerful, able, if you will. And we're going to see a little bit more about this, Lord willing, next week when we start taking a look a little bit about the inspiration and preservation of God's Word and the profitability behind it. What it yields. What it yields in our life.
But we'll take a look at those, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you've given to us in your book. Thank you, Lord, that we have that as a foundation. I thank you, Lord, that that you've preserved it and you've inspired it for us. You've given it to us. And, Lord, here we are in a country that we have have freedom to go buy it and purchase it and distribute it and hold on to it and treasure it without fear of reprisal or anything of that nature as in other countries. But, Lord, you've given it to us. And, Lord, may we never, ever, ever get to a point of where we disregard it, we slight it in any way. But, Lord, we understand the power behind it and its use. Thank you again for those that are here tonight. I pray, Lord, you just take us home safely and that we'd be able to come back here on Sunday, Lord, to please you, to honor you, and to receive more teaching from you. And I ask and pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.